Hello, and welcome to the Villains and Monsters podcast, where true crime meets thrilling fiction and dark minds come together to talk about all things sinister and psychotic. I'm Cassie Sharp, suspense and thriller author and your host. Hey guys, welcome back to Villains and Monsters. This is episode 16 of Where the Shadow Lies, the audio cast. We are back, finally, right? Uh, I did take a bit of a hiatus to work on myself, my mental health, my emotional health. Um, I just needed some time to process all of the craziness that's going on in this world. And I do apologize that I left you guys on a total cliffhanger. What a bitch, right? Um, It was totally not my intention. Um, but I couldn't focus on this when I had so many other things going on, um, in my mind. So I apologize, but I am back. We are ready to go. Um, we are going to finish this book this week, y'all. Hell yeah, we are. Okay. So we're going to do a recap of where we are since it's been a while. Uh, but first I just wanted to say a few things about, um, what's been going on in my heart and in my head lately, um, as we navigate this crazy world we live in, um, during unprecedented times, um, you know, the state of the world has been weighing heavily on my heart, um, as it has with so many others as well. Um, but I just, I'm not going to get political here. Um, but I will say that I definitely 100% support black lives matter. Um, and I stand with you and I will fight with you and I will yell with you. Um, that's not a political thing. That's a humanitarian thing. Um, we're talking about people, about humans, about civil rights. And I just wanted to let you guys know that that's where I stand. Um, and I will always do whatever I can to stand up for the lives, uh, and the rights of others. Um, okay. So let's get into the recap. Um, let's just kind of talk about what happened since we came to Charleston, South Carolina. Right. So let's uh, recap real quick what's going on in the book, and then we will get right to the new chapters. So um, let's just talk about what's happened since everybody got to Charleston. Um, Jason, we know now that he went to Charleston in search of Emily because there's a picture of her in the envelope that he got from his uh, alleged father. And a letter saying, come to Charleston. So we know that's why he went. Um, and we know that he then got a text from a random number saying, meet me at the park, um, at a certain time. So he goes to the park and continues to get communication from that number, uh, to follow a guy. The guy ends up getting murdered And, um, then Jason's sitting there in the dark alone when, uh, someone comes up behind him and says, hello, son. So that's where we're left off with Jason. Um, so what's going to happen? Was that really his alleged father? 
and where does he go from there? Is his life in danger? Is he even still alive? Um, okay, so let's talk about JL and Xander. They go to Charleston to find Jason, of course. Um, when they get there, they learn that a man, the man who uh, assaulted JL at um, the winery, sorry, the winery um, in the corn maze, he was murdered at the park. So um, then JL decides to go talk to her father. Uh, Xander refuses to go. He acts shady. And if we can remember that in the very beginning of the book, Xander was actually commissioned by JL's father to get information on her, something JL has not known this entire time. Um, so Xander doesn't go with her. And when she gets back, well, she has very, um, strained interaction with her father. Um, and he doesn't know anything about Jason or where he is. So when she gets back, she confronts Xander about why he wouldn't, uh, go with her. And he spills the beans about having lied to her since the moment they met. So, uh, she tells him to fuck off pretty much. And he fucks off. <laughs> uh, Xander then, gets a phone call, uh, from Louisville back in Kentucky, uh, that Gran is in the hospital. So he rushes back. Um, she, we find out that she donated part of her liver to their sick neighbor. Um, the son, he's like a teenager and now she's having complications after that transplant. Um, and then it leaves off with, Xander planning to go back to Charleston to help JL find Jason. Um, but then he finds out that Gran has slipped into a coma. Okay. Uh, with JL, after her fight with Xander, she made Mike take her to the prison where her captor uh, is has been incarcerated for the last 20 years. Um, and this is going to be her first face-to-face -face with him. Um, and so she ends up seeing him and he's vastly different from her memory of all those five months, uh, in captivity when he had kidnapped and tortured and raped her. Um, she always had a blindfold on, so she didn't see his face, but she knew his mannerism. She knew his accent. She knew the way he thought and this man that was in prison for that, um, he did not match that at all. So when he admits that he wasn't her captor, he did rape her, um, but he's not the one who kept her in captivity, that it was some dude named Algos. Um, when he says that, she is inclined to believe him because of how vastly different he is from her memories. Um, and he says that he doesn't know anything about Jason, but that if Algos has Jason, he's probably dead by now. So that's where JL left. She told him to go fuck himself. She left. 
And that's where we are. So, so many things going on. Each person is in a different little crisis. um, And they're all about to come together. And all your questions are going to be answered. Um, So let's get on to the next chapters. And then we're so close to being done with this book, guys. And um, these are my favorite chapters for sure. So let's get to it. Chapter 37. Xander left, went home. Algos. Xander fucking left and went home? Algos. Why? Why would he go? He'd been adamant about staying to help her, whether she'd wanted him here or not. He'd always been here, except that one time he wasn't, and she dealt with her father alone, and, of course, when she'd gone to the prison this morning, Algos. But that had been her choice, not his. Jail paced the floor of her hotel room. Everything felt foreign, wrong. Blood was pumping through her veins. She could feel her pulse thump thump, and she was breathing audibly. But that was it. The only things that felt real. All the other things, they couldn't be, right? I mean, there was no way she was back in Charleston, the one city in the world she'd vowed to never step foot in again. It wasn't possible that Jason was missing, likely in danger. No way in hell Xander had given up on her. It was completely fucking preposterous to believe the monster that had been freely running about the world for the last 20 years. How many more women had he... She threw up, right in the middle of the Persian rug. Bent over, she followed the designs in the carpet she'd just ruined. They were ugly, non-symmetrical, J.L. looked up at the oak and marble fireplace. That wasn't original. The wood was probably fake. Turning about, she took in the paintings, prints on the walls in their faux antique frames. She studied the posts on her bed. They were ornate, intricate. She looked closer. They were symmetrical. Not hand-carved, not vintage, not anything they pretended to be. She ran her hand over the comforter. It felt cold. She squeezed her hands in the fabric and flung it off the bed. She picked up the hard pillows and tossed them toward the couch. None of this was real. It was a bunch of pretty lies covering up an ugly past and everything in Charleston mirrored it. Even the people, especially the people. And, damn it, she was one of them, Algos. The pacing commenced. She was done waiting for something to happen done hoping for the best but hiding behind a bulletproof wall, not doing anything about it. Algos, 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 yes, fine. No more denial either. JL opened the search engine on her phone, typing in the monster's alias. She read the first article she saw. Of course, the twisted bastard. JL fished out the card Detective Sasha O'Brien had given her. If Walton Fallis had been telling the truth, then she should have died at his hands. If he was telling the truth, the man who'd tortured her for months was still out there somewhere, no doubt doing the same thing to other women, except probably killing them afterward. Lila? Emily? She swallowed the bile that lingered in the back of her mouth. Her parents had covered up her abduction. 
The DA, dad's best friend, hadn't listened to Phallus, hadn't even considered the possibility that there'd been two rapists. But dad wasn't a powerful senator anymore. He was a weak old man, and she was pretty sure his best friend was no longer the DA. O'Brien had seemed like a good cop. She'd had honest eyes. It was possible she would listen. Possible she'd be able to help JL find Jason. She fingered the card with the detective's information. It could backfire on her. Her parents, likely mommy dearest, could still have powerful connections, and that may ruin her chances of keeping Jason safe. The knock on the door made her jump. Then she remembered the room service she'd ordered, orders she'd made. Her mouth watered with anticipation of the garlic and spices in the spaghetti she'd ordered. The young man who brought her tray had a shining smile, and he couldn't have been more polite. JL raised the stainless steel lid and frowned. Steak, baked potato, asparagus, and bread were positioned beautifully on the fine china. I didn't order this, she said to the young man. He shrugged. It was ordered for you. Oh, and I'm supposed to tell you to answer your phone, he added before he smiled once more, turned, and left. JL shook off the chills running up her arms. It was probably Xander, but he hadn't called. Nobody had. Maybe he was asking her to not ignore his calls later, after she'd eaten, and possibly forgiven him. Smiling, JL pulled her chair closer to the plate. It was a damn good meal, medium rare, just the way she liked it. The potato had been lathered in butter and sour cream. She was stuffed, but she wished there was more than just bread left on her plate. She could have easily gone for seconds. JL eyed the bread, a croissant. What the hell, it's just bread. It was still warm and it flaked when she picked it up. Xander was forgiven-ish, though there was no telling if she'd ever really be able to trust him again. And also, he left, so that needed to be discussed, but there wasn't a better time to catch her than after a good meal. The croissant melted on her tongue with the first bite, and that's when her phone rang. Bread forgotten, JL smiled as she went to the nightstand to retrieve it. She answered without even looking at the number. Now, you really don't believe a delicious steak dinner was going to buy your way out of the doghouse, did you? There was a moment's pause. Then, I had hoped so, love. Ah, oh, Catherine, it's so good to hear you after all of these years. There was no air in the room. So you haven't forgotten the sound of my voice then? Albos. I can see I've left you speechless. Nothing to worry about. I know you're listening because I can hear that breath of yours. It sounds just like it did all those years ago. You just keep listening, love, if you want to see our son again. He paused. Do you understand? Yes, she whispered. Good. Now here's what you're going to do. 7.57 p.m. Think. They'd been outside the door since she'd kicked Sander out last night. Since the fight. Since the last time she'd probably ever see him again. JL closed her eyes, whispering a final goodbye to the man she might have loved for the rest of her life. He would be a regret for as long as she had left. 7.59 p.m. 
It wasn't fair. All those years of survival came down to this. But fairness is a fickle bitch who plays favorites, and J.L. had always been an outcast. 8 o'clock p.m. Time was running out. With a curse, she dug the crinkled note out of her pocket and began to dial. 8.36 p.m. Would you like another? The young man across the bar asked. She'd already had a glass of wine while she waited. Another would go to her head and there was never a time in her life she needed a clearer head than now. No, thank you. Just a glass of water. Where was he? JL checked the time on her phone again. He was late. Maybe too late. Figures, she mumbled. I'll take a bourbon. No ice. JL turned toward the voice. They stared at each other in silence while the bartender made their drinks. He looked better today, like he'd actually showered. Drinks in hand, they made their way to the table in the back. JL glanced toward the door. Chris was sitting in a booth next to it. Mike, she was sure, wasn't too far away. She took a deep breath to quell her nerves. This would work. It had to. Francis tapped his fingers on the table. When do you want me to do it? She glanced at her phone again. 8.44 p.m. We have a few minutes. Francis nodded, taking a large gulp of bourbon. She gazed Chris's way. He was watching them intently. She needed to look genuine. Father and daughter reuniting to work out their differences. Besides, this was the last time she'd see her father, so she figured it wouldn't hurt to get all the facts. Why did you cover it up? Francis looked pained by the question. Your mother was convinced she'd run away. The cops hadn't gotten any calls about suspicious activity at the benefit, and nobody reported you missing that night. Of course they didn't. Chase had been too occupied going harder with Ashley to notice Catherine's absence. Nobody thought it was strange that my car was still at the school? Francis shook his head. Your car wasn't at the school. That's why your mom was convinced you'd taken off. She didn't want it getting out. You know how she is about public opinion, he said. Yes, she did know. A tiny ember of anger ignited in her gut, but she ignored it. She might need its warmth later. Anyway, he continued. We were working with the police, but it was all kept secret. They never got a lead, never had a reason to suspect it was anything other than another girl running away from her family. The day you were... His voice broke. He took another drink. The, uh, the day you were... The day you were found was the worst day of my life. Seeing you in that hospital, your body dirty and frail, I hated myself. Hated your mother. J.L. stared at the splintered man in front of her. A ball of anxiety formed in her belly. Wasn't she doing the same thing by not reporting Jason missing to the police? No, it, it wasn't the same. She didn't give a fuck about public opinion. She was doing what she had to for his safety. Did you know Walton Fallis isn't the man who kidnapped me? Francis dipped his head, studying the amber liquid in the glass. Not at the time, no. 
It wasn't until years later that I got the full truth from your mom. And what's that? She asked, checking the time again. They have less than 10 minutes. You remember my friend, Martin, the district attorney? She nodded. He and your mom were having an affair for years, right under my nose. They made all the decisions in your case together, and I was too messed up with guilt to notice. When the police brought Fallis in, they were sure it was over. DNA evidence is pretty damning. Your mom didn't want it going public, didn't want you testifying in trial, didn't even want him to have a trial because there'd be no way they could keep that from the media. That's why they offered him a plea deal. When Fallis' alibi checked out for the night you were taken, Jennifer and Martin decided to cover that up too. I guess they figured if the case stayed open, there would be more of a chance the public would get wind of the situation. Fallis wasn't a smart man and his attorney was a joke. They took that deal. But your pregnancy changed everything for your mom. She couldn't hide a baby. Sure she could. Catherine had been hidden her whole life. After you told us you were going to keep him, she panicked. She knew, even if we played it off like you got gotten pregnant while traveling through Europe, it would still look bad for the daughter of a conservative Republican senator to have a child out of wedlock. So, she told me the plea deal wasn't final. She told me to either convince you to have an abortion, or she'd make you testify in court. I didn't want you to go through that. I didn't want you to have to face the piece of shit who'd done unspeakable things to you in a public place. I didn't want you to have to talk about all those days in captivity in front of an audience. I didn't want that asshole to see your growing belly. I didn't want you to have to live in Charleston while raising your child with looks of disdain everywhere you went. <sighs> that day I came into your room and saw your bags packed, I'd come to tell you her plan, her ultimatum. You were standing in your bathroom, staring at your belly in the mirror. A look of joy on your face crushed me. I loved you, and I supported your decision. Kath, JL. But I didn't understand it. I couldn't imagine you looking at the reminder of all those months of torture every time you looked at your child. It wasn't my decision to make, though. The only thing I could do was try and make your new life easier. The only way I knew how to do that was with money. Jesus. Jennifer Freeman was a wicked bitch, and Francis had been too weak to stand up to her. JL checked her phone. Two minutes. She glanced back up at the shell of a man. Something in her shifted. She'd been tortured for five months, but... Francis Freeman had been torturing himself for 20 years. Pitying him, she figured she could do up one last thing for him. I forgive you, Dad. His face twisted in disbelief. It's time, she added. His hand engulfed hers. Where you don't. It had to happen now. Are you going to help me or not? Francis downed the rest of his drink in one fast gulp. He stood, swaying from side to side. This is fucking bullshit, he yelled. Turning toward Chris, he pointed his finger. You, you've corrupted her, asshole. He staggered toward Chris. Stopping a few feet away, he lunged himself at her security guard. 
They were on the floor trading punches when Mike ran into the room. Shouts and expletives echoed in the enclosed bar. Keeping one eye on the commotion, JL slunk against the wall. She tiptoed to the side door that led out onto the street and took one more look at the men who'd all tried to help her. Bye, she whispered. It was cold out. Her lungs strained from the force of it. Run, stop, run, stop. Pulling the keys out of her pocket, she hopped in Xander's truck. JL peeled out of the lightened parking lot into the dark night. Chapter 38. Xander paused before turning the page. Gran? He squeezed her hand. Can you hear me? Nothing. Same as the last three hours. He sat back in the chair, resting his arm on the bed next to her. You ready for chapter 26? Her chest rose and fell with no sign she'd heard him. Wake up, Gran, please. I bet I know what's about to happen. He rubbed the back of his head and turned the next page. Chapter 26. Marco's smoldering eyes pin me in place. My breath hitches in my chest, every nerve in my body tethered to the sound of his voice. Take off your dress, he tells me. <sighs> my fingers itch to obey. I clench them shut. You first, I counter. Marco's answering smile causes a gush of... Xander coughed, glancing at Gran. Nothing. Hell. His eyes traveled back down to the page as he shifted in his seat. Marco's answering smile causes a gush of warm moisture to flood my panties. He steps closer. I can barely maintain my moan, and he hasn't even touched me yet. He rips off his shirt as he stalks me. His chest and stomach hold me captive. The delicious, delicious muscles taut and tan. He takes two more steps before his hands trail to his jeans. He unbuttons them, then places his thumbs under the band, one on each side. I step forward. It's subconscious. And then he pushes them down. Slowly, I see, oh God, I see the V between his hips and a dusting of hair. He pauses, smiles, then starts to push them down again. When his cop soft giggles interrupted the story, Xander glanced to the bed. Gran's eyes were wide open. Thank God. Xander shut the book and sat forward in a seat. Hey there, little lady. Gran took a moment to control herself. Hey, baby. How long you been awake? Gran's smile was all the answer he needed. Somewhere in the middle of chapter 14, she said. That book's one of my favorites. Couldn't help myself. Xander shook his head. 
you're rotten. You know what? I do never pretended to be nothing else. He took her hand in his. I'm glad you're back. Don't go doing that shit again. How long? She asked. Xander took a deep breath. Three hours. You been sitting here three hours? Your girl needs you and I ain't going nowhere. You gonna make me tell Henley to call security? Ooh, I haven't done that in a while. Xander turned, noticing her nurse for the first time. Not necessary, Henley. He stood, kissed Gran on her forehead, and excused himself so Henley could do his thing. Thirty minutes later, he was flipping his shit, trying to find his phone. The last place he remembered having it was the cafeteria, but it was no longer there. The pull to go back to Charleston was strong. Without his phone, he had no idea what was going on. If JL was safe, whether they'd found Jason... Xander was torn between the two women he loved most, both of whom needed him right now. Sir? Xander looked up to see the lady who'd been at the check-in counter hours ago when he'd come into the ICU. Yeah. I'm sorry to disturb you, but there's a man here to see Agatha? Well, actually, he said he's here to see you and said it's urgent. It's past visiting hours, so I can't let him back here, she said. Who could know he was there? here? What's his name? Oh, Seth? Seth? I think he said Seth. Or maybe Stephen. I'm not sure. Seth. That could only mean something was wrong in Charleston. Xander jogged to the waiting room. It was empty except for the nervous kid pacing back and forth. Seth, what's wrong? Seth turned to him, trepidation in his eyes. I, uh, Mike, he sent me here. I'm sorry, I know you're... She's not um, good right now. I didn't want to, but Mike, he said he couldn't get hold of you and spit it out, kid. Xander wrung his hands together. Right, Seth said. Mike said he needs you to come back if you can. He said the girl or woman, JL, she's in trouble. Xander's heart was beating so fast he could feel his pulse and all his appendages. Did he say what's wrong? How she's in trouble? Seth nodded, but said nothing. Xander clenched his fist, trying to quell the urge to shake the boy. So what is it? He yelled. She's gone? He, she met with her dad at the bar of the hotel, and then there was some kind of fight, and now she's missing, and so's your truck, Seth said in one breath that teetered out at the end. Fuck. Tell Michael be there as soon as I can. You can go, Xander clipped. Seth shook his head. No, um, no, sir. Mike gave me instructions. I have to come with you to the airport and, um, Charleston. Xander rubbed his temples. He didn't have time for this shit. Seth was another headache he couldn't take on. Tell Mike I'll be fine. Now go, Xander said, turning back to head into the ICU. His steps were heavy as his heart the entire walk back to Grand's room. She was alone when he entered. Her laugh hit his ears and traveled straight to his gut. It was the laugh that had seen him through childhood bullies and rejection from girls. It was the laugh that carried him through the death of his partner and the passing of his dad. It was the laugh that had been in the background music to every family dinner and all those movie nights. She was watching TV and the glow from the screen lit up her face, highlighting her big grin. 
Really, Gran? The office? He teased. Some tall guy on the screen who wore glasses and whose button-down was tucked into pants that were much too high was speaking to the camera on screen. He was referring to someone named Jim, and Gran was cracking up. Xander shook his head, not getting the joke. This shit's hilarious, she said when she calmed down. Xander sat next to her. If you say so. Gran took his hand. Cheer up, baby. We're going to make it through this one way or another. Xander leaned down and kissed her hand. I gotta go, Gran. I don't want to, but I have to. I know you do. You go on now and bring our girl home safe, she said with confidence. If she only knew how much he'd fucked up, of how little of a chance he had at saving her now, she wouldn't be smiling. Gran, I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to find her to save her. Gran chuckled. Ain't nobody say she needs saving. You gotta believe she can do that herself. What she needs is someone to comfort her when it's all over, and that's you, son. Xander wasn't going to argue. Gran didn't know the seriousness of the situation. Didn't know there was a monster lurking beyond the shadows, and Xander wasn't going to fill her head with anxiety. He nodded, stood, and kissed her forehead. I love you, Gran. I love you too. Now go so I can see what prank Jim has up his sleeve for Dwight. As Xander walked out the door, Gran's laughter echoed through the hallway. His heart was both light and heavy. It wasn't until he'd gotten off the elevator in the lobby of the hospital that Xander realized he had no transportation and no phone to call a cab. He headed to the reception desk, a large circular set up next to the sliding doors at the entrance. There were a few people there asking directions to their loved ones. Xander stood back, waiting for a lull. Mr. Williams, sir? Xander turned, surprised to see Seth. Hadn't he ordered the kid to leave? What are you still doing here? Seth's eyes widened. My car is outside, he said, looking toward the door. Xander hesitated. He still didn't trust the kid, but he figured Seth would likely be able to manage a drive to the airport with one stop on the way. Let's go then. I'm going to need to make a stop at the store for a new phone, Xander said after they'd navigated their way out of the parking lot. Seth took one hand off the wheel, reaching to the back seat. He produced a small bag, which he set on Xander's lap. Xander stared at the plastic with the name of his phone company on it. Got you one on my way here, Seth said. How did you? I knew you'd lost it when I tried to call and a woman's voice came on the line. Sounded like she'd not meant to answer the call and once she realized her mistake, she hung up. I called back and it went straight to voicemail. You got a company phone, so it was easy to get another one with your number at the store. Just had to show the business credentials. They cut the service to the old one and activated this one. This was the most insightful thing he'd witnessed the kid do. Xander retrieved his new phone and powered it up. By the time he stepped off the plane in Charleston, Xander was going out of his mind. He hadn't been able to leave Seth back in Kentucky. The kid had already purchased their plane tickets and had a bag with him. He was efficient, if nothing else. During the hours of their flight, 
Seth briefed Xander on the situation back in Charleston, and now he didn't know whether he wanted to throw up or shoot something. JL had been missing for about seven hours now, seven hours of God knows what happening to her, seven hours of a high likelihood she was in danger. The only thing that had kept Xander from completely losing it was that she'd seemed to have left by herself. She wasn't captured or coerced that Mike and the boys could tell. They had interrogated Francis, and he'd admitted JL had used him for a distraction. She'd called him to meet her for that purpose. The Dark Angel had a plan, it seemed. Xander just prayed she'd intended on her own survival. Mike was waiting near baggage claim for them. Xander nodded to his partner, and the three men set off for the exit of the airport in silence. There's a problem, Mike said on their drive to downtown. Something else? Xander clipped. There were a fucking lot of problems. Mike glanced over, eyes narrowed. You got something you want to say, boss? Yes. He wanted to ask Mike how the fuck he managed to lose JL not once, but twice, since Xander had put him in charge of her case. But that would only bring more tension to a scenario that was already dripping with it. No. What's the new problem? Local cops are involved. That guy Freeman, man. Remember how aggravating he was when he hired us? How he kept wanting more and more information on JL? Xander nodded. Well, he's worse in person. He won't chill out. Keeps getting in our way and wasting my time with question after question. He went to the cops. Knows some guy high up, lieutenant or chief. I'm not sure which. But he's raising hell now. And we've got company coming to the hotel. Two detectives and a thousand questions, I'm sure, which will just waste more time. Mike had never been a fan of police, though he'd never seemed to hold it against Xander. Honestly, Xander felt a bit of relief at the prospect of help. The more people looking for JL and Jason, the better. Detective Sasha O'Brien was a bitch. Xander was raised to never call a woman that name, but he couldn't help himself from thinking it. She'd had one single goal since she'd shown up at the hotel, and it had nothing to do with helping them find J.L. She was the lead detective on the homicide in the park, the one where the dick who tacked J.L. for her purse in that corn maze was killed. That case was her only concern. Turns out, Frances Freeman had a personal connection with the captain of the Charleston Police Department, James Wagner. Wagner had sent O'Brien and her partner, Rachel Matthews, to talk to them. When O'Brien showed up, Xander had been relieved to see her. She'd seemed amiable with J.L. the day they'd met a couple days ago. They were gathered around the conference table in Mike's hotel. Xander and Mike sat on one side with O'Brien between them. Seth and Francis sat on the other with Matthews at the head of the table. Chris was in the other room. Ever since the two detectives sat down, Xander had tried to explain how J.L. had left and all the events leading up to now, but the moment he'd mentioned Jason, she lost all interest in JL. Jason? Jason Tyndall? She'd asked. She'd spent the next hour questioning them all about Jason, his whereabouts, and everything they knew about him. She grilled Xander about the day JL was attacked in the maze. She'd asked whether or not Jason knew about the incident in 39 different ways. Now, she was writing something down on her notepad while thinking of her next question. Xander was damn good and done with it. He turned to her partner, 
Rachel. She'd been quiet the entire time. She was observant. He could see it in her eyes. It wasn't apprehension or shyness that kept her quiet. She was poised and astute. Perhaps she'd cut through the bullshit for him. Detective Matthews, he began, going thick on the southern charm. I don't think we've properly been introduced. I'm Xander Williams. I was a detective for Louisville Metro a few years back, so I see what's going on here. You got something makes you think Jason is involved in the murder, right? He paused to make sure she was paying attention. She was. We're on the same side. Both of us want to find him. If you can just help me get a better picture, I think you'll find I can help you. Matthews had one eyebrow raised as she glanced at her partner. Something passed between them, and then Matthews turned her attention to Xander. All right, Mr. Williams. Jason's wallet and phone were found at the scene of the homicide. We didn't find them until yesterday, actually, in some bushes a hundred or so yards away. Mr. Tyndall is wanted for questioning. Xander rubbed his temples while he tried to make sense of everything. It was all connected. Everything from the first letter to the dead guy in the park and Jason's wallet. All his instincts told him this had something to do with Jason's father. The way the letters were signed, the way the finger had been addressed to JL, the fact that they were back in Charleston, it had to have something to do with him. Only... Xander had read J.L.'s file many, many times, too many. Walton Fallis hadn't only confessed to everything. His DNA had been found, he shuddered, on J.L. in the hospital. Unless Fallis had an accomplice or someone was now working on his behalf, the man who'd tortured J.L. all those months had been locked away for 20 years. It couldn't be him. There was nothing to lose besides two people he held dear, so Xander spent the next 20 minutes filling the detectives in on everything that had happened since Xander met J.L., leaving out the only part about Francis hiring them. If Francis wanted that information known, he could reveal it himself. Aggravating or not, Xander respected the man's privacy, and it was nothing relevant to the matter at hand. That's the best information you've given me all day, O'Brien said when he was finished. She stood, motioning for Matthews to follow. O'Brien hadn't even the decency to bid the room farewell. Xander followed the ladies to the door. O'Brien leaned into her partner, whispering, Considering his recent issues with the law, I think we can safely put Jason into the person of interest category. Gran would have tugged him by the earlobe for ear hustling if she'd been here. Are you kidding me? He asked, his voice coming out more forceful than he'd intended. O'Brien turned to him, rolled her condescending, beady little eyes, but said nothing. You came here to help us find Miss Tyndall, and now you're leaving without even asking about her, Sander said. Yes, Captain Wagner sent you here to get information on my daughter, not her son, Francis interjected from Sander's left. He hadn't even realized the old man was there. O'Brien smirked, perching one hand on her hip. Miss Tyndall's been gone less than 10 hours. She isn't even missing. She left. Y'all saw her leave on her own. She didn't go kicking and screaming unwillingly. She slipped away. All you men were hovering over me. I get the hell out first chance I got too. She's still gone this time tomorrow with no word. You boys can mosey on down to the station and file a missing persons. We, she pointed to her partner, 
got ourselves a homicide to work, a killer to catch. So you gentlemen have yourselves a nice day. You know who Jason's father is? Xander asked, his voice low. O'Brien raised a brow. He's a psychopath. Kidnapped, tortured, and raped his mom when she was 17. Jason? He's a bit off, if you get the idea. Gotta wonder if it's in his genes, you know what I mean? He knew what that information would do for an ambitious detective. Bait. Like finding the fattest, bloodiest worm to wriggle onto the hook, he cast that juicy intel into the freezing water, knowing she'd bite. And you know this how, she asked. Hook. Xander shrugged. I have her case file. You have it too, since it happened here. Detective Matthews waved her hand dismissively. We already looked in the system for both JL and Jason. No hits. Xander smiled. She wasn't always Miss Tyndall. Look up Catherine Freeman, Francis threw in. Xander had a mind to smack the man upside his head. Francis here don't know the Tyndalls like I do, Xander said, addressing O'Brien. Might be his daughter, but they haven't spoken but twice in 20 years. Now, let me tell you, detective, JL and Jason are close. Real close, you get me? We followed her boy all the way down here from Kentucky. Chances are she's not around, it's because she found him. Chances are they're trying to keep a low profile. You find one of them, he paused. You're going to find the other. O'Brien assessed him, reaching out a tentative hand to test the validity of the bait, running a feathery finger across the bulging ripples of the writhing worm. Where do you think they are? Real. Chapter 39. Tsk, 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 tsk. JL jumped at the sound to her left for the second time since she'd started walking. The area surrounding this part of Door Road was all dense forest and eerie stillness. It didn't help that it was pitch black out. Each step she took echoed in her ears, in the trees, in her heart. Like a drumbeat counting down, the thump of each footfall marked one moment closer to doom. She tried to quell her nerves by imagining the insects of unknown species location and a ferocity belting out a sweet melody atop the percussion, but her imagination was obstructed by the sound of Jason's voice. It had only been a few hours since she'd heard him, but the terror of knowing every second that had passed meant he was in danger made it feel like a lifetime. Jason's voice had been the only thing that had driven her this far. Mom, I'm okay. Don't... Four words. That's all he'd allowed her to hear. Tsk, 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 tsk. She jerked at the noise. The movement made her miss a step, and in the effort to recover, she tripped on a stone. Down she went, onto the cold asphalt. Hands out to break her fall, she landed hard. It hurt, penetrating the paralytic, paralytic terror. It was dark, too dark to gauge the damage, but she could feel it, the blood, 
the gashes, the tiny pieces of gravel embedded within the wounds. Her thumping footsteps were replaced by frantic inhales. Not enough air, not nearly enough. The dark forest was expanding, threatening to engulf her inside its shadows. Jason. She took in a long stream of air through her nose, held it, then slowly blew it out. Pushing herself forward, she got on all fours, willing the throb to numb. Three times she attempted to put pressure on her feet in order to stand, but each time she faltered. Though JL couldn't see a damn thing, it was a pretty safe assumption that she'd fractured her ankle at the very least. Damn it! If she had her phone, she could call him, let him know she wasn't going to make it on time. But she'd smashed it on the side of the road when she parked Xander's truck. Per instruction, time was running out. Jason. She squeezed her eyes shut, sent up a prayer for strength, and began to crawl. Three miles of dirt, sharp gravel, and rough pavement later, JL finally saw it ahead. Her hands bled with vigor now, but she couldn't feel anything over the reassurance of seeing that bicycle. Without light, she couldn't make out any details, but its shape was defined enough by the luminosity of the moon for relief to gush through her belly and out her eyes in the form of tears. She took a brief pause to breathe before propelling herself forward. Listen carefully, Kat, because I will not repeat these instructions. You are to leave by 9 p.m. this evening, heading straight onto Door Road. Drive exactly four miles on Door Road, then pull over to the right shoulder and park. Leave all your possessions in the car. Accept your phone. Smash that on the side of the road. Once that's done, walk on the left shoulder for approximately five miles. You will find a bicycle and further instructions. See you soon, love. Click. Despite her injury, she found it fairly easy to hop onto the seat of the bike. With it holding her weight, she assessed her hands. In the moonlight, she watched blood drip from them both right onto an envelope taped to the handlebars. Inside was a note and a book of matches. After unfolding the note, she struck a match, one of three, and read, 17 more miles, on a bike, with a broken ankle and cut up hands. Fuck. JL double-checked the address on the house with that on the note. This was it. Chills dimpled her arms as she stared at the dilapidated structure. It appeared to be two stories high, the roof only covering half the top floor. The other half was drooping down the sides of the house, with shingles spread amongst the grounds. The siding was scorched in places and falling to peace in others. There was a wraparound porch, but the awning sagged, giving doubt to the possibility of standing beneath it without dying. The cracked pathway to the door was lit on both sides with torches, illuminating the tall weeds that had engulfed the grass in the yard. If not for the torches, JL would have never noticed the house. It appeared abandoned, forgotten, so hideous it was discreet. JL hung her head, preparing herself for every conceivable outcome in her immediate future, 
Adrenaline had waned as exhaustion had taken over her body on the right here. Hours ago, when she'd been crawling on the side of the road, she'd pierced her knees on sharpened stones, and she could now feel her heartbeat pulsing inside those gashes. J.L. rode the bike up the broken path, taking notice of the yard around her. There was no movement, not even a breeze to sway the grasses. Using the railing of the porch for support, she lowered herself off the bike, taking cautious steps all the way to the front door. It was unlocked. J.L. glanced behind her at the world outside and what she expected to be her final glimpse of freedom. Shoulders straight, she hobbled across the threshold to the dark room beyond. Okay, so that wraps up today's chapters. Um, that was a fun way to end it. I promise another episode is coming soon, so there won't be too much of a cliffhanger for you. Um, so, yeah, we've got JL um, wanting to forgive Xander, thinking that he sent her dinner, but it actually was Algos or her captor whatever you want to call him. Um, and then she creates this diversion to escape her bodyguards, basically. Um, and then we had Xander talking to Gran when she was coming out of the coma. Um, that little bit that he read, I had a lot of fun writing that. And it was really fun, too picture a man trying to read that out loud to his grandmother. Anyway, um, so then Xander comes back to Charleston to try to find her, and then we have JL on the road to hopefully rescue Jason. So that's where we're at. Um, tune in next time to find out what JL is walking into, and if Xander is going to be able to find her in time to save her. So, and what's been going on with Jason. So that's coming up next episode. I can't wait. You guys have a fabulous day. Bye.